Good morning, family. It is so good to see you all this morning. And visitors, thank you for joining us. And we're so grateful that you're here. If you have any questions about Fourth Avenue, we would love to get to know you and your family. Thank you so much for being here. And also, I just want to say, I was at that women's worship night on Friday night, which sounds a little strange, right? Um, I was running sound for them, and it was amazing. <laughs> like, it was so, so good. So, hear from a man, women's ministry is great. <laughs> um, but, I also, last week, we started a new sermon series called The Enemy, where we are sort of identifying the enemy in us. We are seeing the ways in which we have darkness and brokenness deep inside of us. And I tasked Tyler Bedwell, which she's back there and she is shaking her head, no, she does not want this attention, but I'm doing it anyway. But uh, I asked her to create a piece, and this is uh, what she came up with whenever I was telling her about this uh, idea of a sermon series. And I love it. It is so good. It's capturing sort of the feel of, of what I'm wanting for this. And she has on the arm of this person reaching up, in which Jesus is reaching down to help pull the person out of the darkness, the word yesha in Hebrew, which means salvation or deliverance. So this is an incredibly amazing piece of art. Uh, and thank you, Tyler, for putting that together. <clears throat> We often believe lies, don't we? Like we believe that, you know, I can totally get together with this girl that's way out of my league and it's going to work out even though all of reality and all of my friends are screaming, no, you cannot do this. It's not going to work. But we believe it anyway. By we, I mean me. Or more specifically for my life, I believe that Eating Wendy's on a frequent basis is going to have zero effect on my body. It's another lie that's uh, personal to me. But on a more serious note, a lot of times we believe the lie that there's no danger in living comfortably. We believe the lie that more money is going to bring me more fulfillment. We believe the lie that there is no hope for me, so I might as well stop trying. We all believe many lies. And though I don't think anyone in here would sign up knowingly to believe a lie, we all believe these lies because we think that there is something actually beneficial in them. But we don't see them as lies, but we see them as the truth. And people throughout history have been so desperately seeking ways to figure out how they can live a flourishing life. But there is so much mass confusion as to where we should turn for those answers. So we follow people on social media that seem like they might have the right answers. Or we listen to news stations that tell us the right way to think and what to avoid at the grocery store. We listen to podcasts and documentaries and we read self-help books thinking that these might be the cures to our problems. But it's all a distortion. It's all a lie that comes from one single influence. Humans have made enemies out of all kinds of people throughout history. But as scripture says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Scripture makes it clear that there is one enemy to rule them all, and he is the enemy, the devil. You hear me say that, and some of you may immediately want to check out. <laughs> and honestly, me about five years ago probably would have done the same. For much of the Western world, we have become more enlightened, and we've made scientific discoveries, and we understand 
the brain much better. And we've moved away from the notion that such a being could truly exist. We kind of lump the devil in the same category as Bigfoot or Nessie. And all the Bigfoot enthusiasts are going to come talk to me afterwards about that. But there's actually a study done by Barna in which they said 40% of self-proclaimed Christians in the United States believe that Satan is only a symbol for evil. And an additional 19% of those say that they somewhat believe that that is the case. And I get it. To be honest, I had a really hard time making sense of the devil. I was pretty agnostic to the devil's existence. Couldn't really compute for me. But I believe now that I was gravely mistaken. In my experience, people don't really talk about the devil very much. And to be fair, it's a really hard subject, and I spent a lot of time reading all sorts of stuff this week in preparation for the sermon, but I think not talking about him is to our detriment. If there is a figure like the devil that exists in the world, wouldn't it be better to know that he exists and act differently? Because scripture certainly talks about him a lot. Jesus talks both to him and about him a decent amount. And my reading of Jesus is that he clearly believed in the devil as this detrimental figure in the universe. And I believe that Jesus knows the true nature of reality better than I do. And please, as we talk about this subject, know I am not an expert on all things spiritual world, it turns out. So this is my best understanding for a really hard topic. So let's start by understanding who and what Satan is. He is known in many different ways. And in my opinion, basically all of these are titles and not a personal name. The word Satan in Hebrew, it means the adversary. And there are several figures in the Old Testament that are called Hasatan or the adversary. Then they function in the adversarial role that may not be Satan. And though a title can function a lot like a personal name, and we've kind of attributed uh, Satan as his name, but it's really more of a title that means the adversary, he has a lot of different things he's known as. For example, the devil, which means the slanderer or the accuser. Beelzebub, which means the lord of the flies. That's kind of freaky. He's also known as the destroyer, the enemy, the evil one, the ancient serpent, the great dragon, and many more. And if we hear all of these, we hear one, this guy sounds like a pretty bad guy, and also, he seems pretty dangerous. And about what Satan is, we know from scripture that Satan was created by God as a powerful angel, which is important to note that Satan is not equal in power to God. We don't believe in dualism where these forces of darkness and light are battling, and we're like, oh, I don't know who's going to win. It's not like that at all. Satan is limited in his power. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-present. He is not all-knowing. He is a very powerful and scary figure, but he is nothing in the realm of God. He's probably closer to us in the terms of uh, power and scale than he is to God. Which what that explains to us is that the devil is not the direct cause of every bad thing in the world. That's giving him too much credit. The figure of Satan is not directly causing every stubbed toe and every flat tire and every seasonal allergy. However, his influence is certainly everywhere. And there are many demons in the world that do his work and we are all affected by his plans and his schemes. 
I like what C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters concerning the devil and demons, which if you haven't read that book, that's your homework this week. <laughs> that book is phenomenal and it's freaky at the same time. But he has a very balanced view of Satan. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I love the way that he uses words. But he argues that it is equally detrimental to not believe in his existence as it is to have an unhealthy interest in what he's doing and where he is and all those sorts of things. So there's a balance to be had here. Okay, so Satan is a powerful angel Originally a part of God's divine counsel that was cast out of heaven by God and led a rebellion against God. And Satan recall, or not Satan, Jesus recalls in Luke of witnessing Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And we know from Revelation that Satan was the ancient serpent in the garden that deceived Adam and Eve and brought sin into this world. And from that point on, Satan and his forces have been trying to destroy God's good world. In fact, Jesus describes Satan as the ruler of this world. Or as 2 Corinthians 4 says, he is the God of this age. Or as Ephesians 2 says, he is the prince of the power of the air. And the word prince here, it is a political term that's known to talk about this highest ranking official in the area. So whenever Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, it's a true temptation because Satan has the influential control of all the kingdoms of the world. That's a scary thought. And as C.S. Lewis said, he said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every, square, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Hence this idea of spiritual warfare. There is something real going on. But on Easter Sunday, the devil was dealt the final blow and the war was won. As 1 John 3, 8 says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Through Jesus, the work of the devil is done. And though the devil has been sinning from the beginning, Christ is the one who conquers. Or as Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, since the children have flesh and blood, children being us, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The devil holds the power of death, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has defeated the devil's power. And we are freed from the slavery of the fear of death. Satan was defeated at the empty tomb. And we know from scripture that God created hell specifically for Satan and his angels. We know his days are numbered. We know that he is severely wounded and at this point is just trying to take down as many people as he can with him, which makes him dangerous. And though we could spend a lot of time talking about the nature of Satan and all these big theological questions surrounding him that I was just racking my brain around trying to understand, what I'm focused more on today is I want to look at what he's doing now and what his methods are. One of the most popular verses in the Bible about Satan is 1 Peter 5.8. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to devour. We see here that Satan is seeking to destroy God's world and is like a lion in the brush that is cunning and sneaky and looking to devour whatever he can. Which is why I believe Jesus includes in the Lord's Prayer for his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Because this is a real threat. The devil is on the prowl and seeking to devour. And in terms of his method and how he's seeking to destroy the world, let's look at John 8. Jesus talks a little bit about this. As he's talking with the Pharisees and they mention that they believe that God is their true father, Jesus picks up in verse 42. It says, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me for you are children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So while Jesus is speaking some hard truths to the Pharisees here, we get some insight into the devil, that he does a lot of evil things. He's been a murderer from the beginning. He hates the truth. There is no truth in him, and he is a liar and the father of lies, the source of lies, the origin of lies. Satan's greatest tactic is deception. Revelations 12.9 calls him the deceiver of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 4 says that he blinds the minds of those who do not believe. For Satan, it is all about confusion, distortion, deception, and he is really, really good at it. John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, which I love that book, he talks about the enemies that wage war on God's creation, and his main point of the book is this. The devil's primary stratagem to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires, which are normalized in a sinful society, okay? Deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires, which are normalized in a sinful society. But it all starts with the lie. And I see that that's been true in my own life. This week I've been doing a lot of spiritual exercises that are going through my whole upbringing. And I've been able to trace how a lot of my sinful, awful habits and cycles have been traced back to a lie that I have believed about myself. And what makes the lies so enticing is that in them there is a kernel of something that is good. Something that we do desire as humans, but it's just twisted. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about practices or habits that have been distorted. And it's become so pervasive that it's started to become normalized. But before getting into that, we need to start by looking at the root of where these habits come from. Our first sins, before they become habitual begin because we believe a lie about what will make us live the best life. That's what Satan did with Adam and Eve. It all started with a false idea. It started with a lie. And then once we believe the lie, something that is inherently destructive to believe for us, that begins to shape our habits and our actions. And those habits can create addictions. And once we're really sold out to this ideology and we're sold out to the way that we're living, we can create converts to get on board with it. And over time, through enough manipulation, it all gets normalized to the point that we see these destructive, sinful cycles naturally playing themselves out in our world. And at this point, the world is so broken that if Satan were to die today, the world would still be sinning on a grand scale tomorrow. 
So what do we do about this? What is our path forward? I believe Jesus tells us in John 8 as well, in verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, this is the Pharisees, they said, we have never been slaves to anyone, which hold up for a second, have you read the book of Exodus? (laughs) Yes, you have. (laughs) What do you mean you will be set free? In verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Humans are slaves to sin. We cannot help but sin. But the way forward is through the truth, remaining in the teachings of Jesus, because Jesus, as John 14 says, is the way, the truth, and the life. And now that we are in Christ, we truly are set free from the slavery of sin and death. We are truly free, church. The truth of Jesus destroys the lies of the enemy. It all starts with the truth in terms of overcoming. Because once that lie is gone from our heart, that that's been uprooted and replaced with something true, then that truth then can start shaping our habits and our actions. And as our habits and actions become more good, we are able to then start helping shape communities and the world around us. And we're actually going to be able to bring heaven down to earth as opposed to hell onto earth. So how do we resist the lies of the enemy? How do we embrace the truth of Jesus? Well, the first step of that is knowing the truth. We all believe and create truth from something. The important question is what is our source? There's a lot of different sources that are shooting at you and screaming at you for your attention. Whether it's social media or the news or documentaries, whether it's your friends and their experiences or your own experiences, your own wisdom, which I don't know about you guys, if the ultimate reality of truth is based upon what I think is best for myself, I would have been in pretty rough shape at this point in my life, would be my guess. In a world with so many voices screaming at us for our attention, It's hard to know what to believe, but I really do believe it's simple. The authoritative truth for our lives should be what God, the creator of the universe and the creator of reality, says. And knowing the voice of God perfectly on our own is impossible. So in order for us to discern what God's truth is, as we're doing that, we need to take into account what scripture says. It's hard to know God without knowing the Bible. We also need to take into account what our fellow believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit are saying. Because if it's just me and my own personal interpretation of the Bible, we can come up with some wild ideas. (laughs) But the good thing about communal interpretation is our brothers and sisters can knock some of those wild ideas off, right? And also we need to listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction in our own life. Because if something's not settling with you, well, press into that. Talk with your fellow believers. Search scripture for it. And if those three things together are in alignment with the truth, you can feel pretty good that those, whatever that thing is that you're looking into, is actually the truth. From Jesus' own time of being tempted in the wilderness, we see some of how he's been able to diffuse the deception and even the distortions of scripture of the devil. And he, he does it by actually knowing the truth of scripture. 
And this wasn't just a head knowledge for Jesus where he was killing it with Bible bulls, although Jesus would have been pretty good at Bible bulls. This is more so knowing the words of Scripture in an experiential way. Knowing the Father and his character and his heart, walking in step with the Father, also reliance on the Holy Spirit. This wasn't just a head knowledge of truth for Jesus. This was a heart knowledge. He knew this in his bones about what was true about God, and he was able to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. So church, may we do likewise. May we experientially know the truth about God and what he says about us so that we can identify and resist the lies of the devil. And a second tip from scripture, as Ephesians 4.27 says, give no opportunity to the devil. We unknowingly, or sometimes knowingly, walk into situations that we know are gonna be huge traps for us. We keep falling into the same routines and patterns that bring more and more brokenness into the, to our lives because we aren't taking this threat as seriously as we should be. Ephesians 6 is one of those famous passages that says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. This idea here is that we need to be proactive in our resistance to the devil. We need to put on the armor, be prepared, so whenever darkness comes knocking on our door, when temptation comes, we are prepared because we have the armor of truth and righteousness and faith and salvation on. This means that we need to operate with wisdom and not walk into situations that are going to trigger our temptations or trigger our own believing of false narratives about who we are. If your problem is looking at things you know you shouldn't be looking at, take Jesus seriously and cut that stuff out of your life. Unsubscribe from stuff if it's gonna lead you down that path. Find good community to hold you accountable. Take action, resist. If that problem is going into a downward spiral of shame and believing lies about yourself. Maybe that means get good friends that are able to speak the truth about who you are to you whenever you're believing these lies. Maybe that means finding a good therapist or counselor. We have to start being more proactive in this battle with the enemy and not set ourselves up for failure. So let's not give the devil a foothold. Church, we must resist the accuser. We must resist the lies that we are failures, that we are worthless, that God is never gonna love me because of this thing that I did, that there's nothing good about me, that I can never get better, that I can never recover from this, that I'm the absolute worst, that no one will ever love me if they find out this secret of mine. Here's the good news, church. The accuser has been cast out of heaven. Whenever we face God on the day that we are judged, there's not gonna be the devil's advocate in the corner that rolls out this long list of a scroll and is saying, all right, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Year two, whenever you hit your sister. And it's like, whoa, okay, I was not expecting to go far, that far back, right? That's, there's so many things I don't even know that I've been doing, right? The good news, church, the accuser has been cast out of heaven. And the mediator between us and the judge is our friend, Jesus. And the Spirit of God is bearing witness on our behalf that we are children of God. So we can rest that the accuser is gone out of heaven. However, he is certainly here in this world. As we face our enemy, we can rest in the fact 
that the accuser has no power over Jesus. And that even what the enemy means for evil, God can turn that for our good. And, though G- and through Jesus, we can overcome whatever schemes of the enemy come our way. But as we live in this world, church, let's be careful that we do not begin to look like the accuser. That we don't let the accuser get into us. Because unfortunately for many, because of their experience with church hurt, or because of stories that the media has pushed, their perception of the church is closer to that of the devil than to Jesus. An entity that casts down judgment and speaks down on sinners. That's known more for what it's against than what it is for. A church that favors speaking critically of other people's sins while willfully ignoring the sins in our own heart. May that not be us, church. I pray that we model the way of Jesus and speak with grace and truth. That we demonstrate with our lives what the flourishing truth of Jesus can offer. And let our love do the talking, not the accuser. The world today, I don't know if you feel this, but it just feels like it is getting increasingly hostile and more angry and more divided and more confused. In church, we get the opportunity to show the world the peaceful truth of Jesus that sets us free. So this morning, if you are believing lies and you want to know the freedom of Jesus, if you want to be set free from the captivity of sin and be baptized into Jesus, If you want prayers over anything in your life, this morning we're going to have a prayer team around the room, and during this next song, they're going to be praying for you. So if you have anything going on in your life, even if it's celebrations, even if it's something good that you want someone to be with you in, please pray with these people. And this morning, we're going to end with a communal confession again. If you would please go ahead and stand. And if you don't feel comfortable saying these words, that's okay. If you, if you want to just say them in your heart, that's okay as well. But let's, let's say these words together. Holy and merciful God, we need your grace and love today. We frequently believe lies about other people and ourselves. We have lived our lives after these lies and have caused great harm to come into your world. Forgive us, O Lord, and may your truth set us free. Amen.